A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Upon those who dwelt in the land of gloom, a light has shone. You have brought them abundant joy and great rejoicing as they rejoice before you as at the harvest, as people make merry when dividing spoils. For the yoke that burdened them, the pole on their shoulder, and the rod of their taskmaster, you have smashed as on the day of Midian. For every boot that tramped in battle, every cloak rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for flames. For a child is born to us, a son is given us. Upon his shoulder dominion rests. They name him Wonder Counselor, God Hero, Father Forever, Prince of Peace. His dominion is vast and forever peaceful. From David's throne and over his kingdom, which he confirms and sustains by judgment and justice, both now and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Verbum Domini.
A reading from the letter of St. Paul to Titus. Beloved, the grace of God has appeared, saving all and training us to reject godless ways and worldly desires and to live temperately, justly, and devoutly in this age as we await the blessed hope, the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to deliver us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people as his own, eager to do what is good. Verbum Domini. Lexio Sancti Evangelii Secundum Luca. A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be enrolled, each to his own town. And Joseph too went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David that is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, to be enrolled with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to have her child. 
and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were shepherds in that region living in the fields and keeping the night watch over their flock. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were struck with great fear. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, a Savior has been born for you, who is Christ and Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Ebum Domini. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Upon those who dwelt in the land of gloom, a light has shone. We celebrate today the glorious solemnity of the nativity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the true light of the world. Yet ironically, our celebration of the entrance of this light into the world takes place at the darkest part of the day, at midnight. And I probably speak for most of us but at saying that we don't do this because we love staying up late, or that we, we love the darkness in itself, but rather it is when things that are at, at their darkest that we have a greater appreciation for the light. The light is most welcome to eyes that have been shrouded in darkness and have longed to see the light. At the time of the birth of Jesus Christ, politically speaking, the situation in Israel and Judah was perhaps the darkest it had ever been. The people were ever aware of God's promise to King David to, in 2 Samuel 7 that the kingdom of David would be an everlasting kingdom and that his offspring would reign forever. Yet the reign of the kings of Judah, who belonged to David's line, seemingly came to an end. And when we speak nowadays about the Babylonian captivity, the Babylonian conquest of Judah, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, 
and the exile of the Jewish people into pagan territory, we do not really fully grasp how earth-shattering this event was for the Jewish people. And although there was a brief restoration after the exile, this is shortly followed afterwards by then the conquest by another pagan nation, by the Romans and the establishment of the rule of the emperor. And so it, it might have seemed to the people of Judah that God's promise of an everlasting Davidic kingdom would go unfulfilled. Yet, of course, we know that God never leaves a promise unfulfilled. God never leaves a promise unfulfilled. God is always faithful to his word. Even when we are unfaithful, God is always faithful. And although the Jewish people would have to wait for hundreds and hundreds of years, the coming of the promised Messiah, the offspring of David, the shoot from the stump of Jesse, the Prince of Peace, would bring about the definitive reign of a Davidic king ruling from the throne of David, whose kingdom of peace would last forever. This would be the fulfillment the definitive fulfillment of 2 Samuel 7. God is always faithful to his promise. The prophets before the Babylonian exile and leading up to it prophesied time and again that the Messiah would come. And we heard some of these prophecies all throughout at least the last seven days. We've heard some of these prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. And then the prophets, after the exile, you know, after the people were taken into exile, they picked up this message of the coming of the Messiah. They continued to predict his coming, including a, a, a prophecy of the forerunner of the Lord, John the Baptist. Even his coming was prophesied in the spirit and power of Elijah. And these messages of hope regarding the coming of the Messiah were usually sprinkled throughout numerous calls, calls for repentance, calls for conversion, and warnings, warnings of destruction if they did not repent. It was because of their sin that that was leading them to destruction. You know, the prophets continually had to call the people back. They had to call the leaders back from idolatry and from other grievous sins. The kings of Judah, you know, those of the line of David, were a mixed bag. You know, some of them were wicked kings, that they, they led the people into pagan idol worship. They set up temples and altars to these false gods. Whereas others, were good and faithful kings who would then lead the people back to authentic worship of God, smashing the pagan temples and the altars that their fathers had set up. But overall, the people of the kingdoms of, of Israel and Judah 
And at the, at the time, there were two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And these kingdoms failed to heed the words of the prophets. And they were unfaithful to their covenant with the Lord. And so Israel was conquered by the Assyrians, ultimately in 722 BC, while Judah was conquered by the Babylonians in 587 BC. This was something that was warned by the prophets. If they did not turn away from sin and repent and turn back to the worship of the one true God, they would be defeated. They would be taken into exile. The earthly reign of the Davidic kings then at this point was brought to an end. And things would have seemed very dark for the people of Judah. Yet it was necessary that the earthly reign of, this, of these Davidic kings in the line of David to come to an end so that when the light of the world, the Messiah, comes, he might establish a heavenly, heavenly kingdom. And that was a, a common misconception among the people at the time that he, was, he had come to restore the earthly Davidic kingdom. No, he came to establish a heavenly kingdom everlasting Davidic kingdom. He says to Pontius Pilate later on, my kingdom is not of this world. And the coming of the Son of God in the flesh is not accompanied by all sorts of pomp and circumstance. You know, we look at the infant Jesus, he's not dressed in fine purple garments like would have been common for royalty at the time. His birth was not announced to the entire world. And he was not even announced to the religious leaders. You would think that the angels would have appeared to the religious leaders and told them that the Messiah was coming. But rather, they were, the angels appeared to poor, simple shepherds, tending their flocks in the fields. And in announcing the newborn king to the shepherds, the angel gives them the sign of his birth. It's a sign of contradiction. This child, who is king of kings and lord of lords, who is destined to be ruler of the universe, is dressed not in fine garments, but in swaddling clothes. He is an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes. He is placed not in an ornate palace with an illustrious throne, but in a mere feeding trough for animals. This is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, placed in a feeding trough. Perhaps an early indication that he would become food in the Holy Eucharist for the members of his church. From his very birth, Jesus already demonstrates to all of us what he would later say to his apostles. I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. As Venerable Fulton Sheen puts it so beautifully in his book, Life of Christ, every other person came into this world or comes into this world to live. He came into it to die. 
As the Christmas proclamation indicates, which I had chanted before the Mass today, the whole world was at peace. The whole world was at peace when the Prince of Peace came into the world. And how do we know that the world was at peace? Well, St. Bean the Venerable tells us the world was at peace because a census was being taken and all people were required to return to their own town. And this can only take place during a time of peace and not of war. And so it is fitting that the Prince of Peace should be born into a world at peace. And this is yet another sign that Jesus has come to bring lasting peace, a peace that only Christ can give, a peace that comes only from knowing and loving Jesus and turning away from sin. The angel also announces to the shepherds that the Savior is born in the city of David, in Bethlehem, where King David himself was born. And not only is this the fulfillment of the prophecy of Micah, that the Messiah should come from Bethlehem, but it is fitting that the new and everlasting David, that the, the new and everlasting Davidic king, should be born in the city of David, should come from the same place as the first David. This newborn king has come not to continue an earthly Davidic kingship, like I said before, but to elevate it, to elevate it to a heavenly king, a heavenly throne. And those who are subject to Christ are not only the children of Israel, they don't just come among, from among the children of Israel, but also include Jews and Gentiles. You know, Jesus Christ came first to save the Jews, but his salvation is ultimately offered to every person who repents and who believes in the gospel. St. Paul teaches us in the reading from Titus today that Jesus, come has, Jesus Christ has come not only to save, but to train us to reject godly way, godless ways, to reject godless ways and worldly desires and to live temperately, justly, and devoutly in this age. So salvation is offered freely to each and every person. But there are strict requirements for those of us who wish to be saved. There is a response that is required on our part. We must separate from sin. We must, I've said this in another homily, sin must be over here, we must be over here. You know, it has to be as far as the east is from the west. That's how far our sins must be separated from us. Because there cannot be any sin in God's presence. You know, in order for us to be able to stand before God, first of all, at our judgment, but then to be with him in heaven, we have to be completely purified. And we begin our purification now on earth. And we complete our purification, God willing, in purgatory. But you know that if you're in purgatory, you're, you've made it. You've got a brief period of time of purification, but you've made it. 
And so we must believe in and adhere to everything that the Lord teaches in the deposit of faith that has been handed down to us faithfully through the church, the perennial teaching of the church, which is inviolate, which does not change. The season of Advent was a reminder that while Christ came the first time in the flesh, in lowliness and humility as a little child, at his second coming, he will come in glory. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. That's what we pray in the creed. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And the just, those who have sought God's will, sought to do God's will and to obey his commandments, those who have availed themselves of the sacraments, those who have dedicated themselves to prayer, will have nothing to fear from the judgment. Whereas the wicked, those who have refused to do God's will and have rejected his commandments, who have turned against God at every moment, or at least have turned against God at the end of their lives, will have everything to fear. And throughout the four weeks of Advent, we also experienced a small, a, a small taste of the great longing that Israel had experienced in their longing for the Messiah, for the coming of the Messiah. You know, we, we had a small taste of that. It was only four weeks compared to the th- hundreds of years, the thousands of years that they had to wait for the Messiah. But it was supposed to stir up that longing in us for the second coming of Christ. Because we, we are longing for that. We know that his kingdom of peace is coming. That it's going to be fully established. And that kingdom of peace already reigns in our hearts. It already reigns in the hearts of those who are united to him. You know, even with everything going on outside, you know, all of the confusion and the hysteria and you know, the evil and everything that's outside, as long as a person is united to Christ personally and is seeking their own sanctification and seeking the, the sanctification of those close to them, then they are at peace. There is a peace that comes along with that. But that's what we're longing for. That's, that's what the season of Advent reminded us of, of that longing for the second coming of Christ. But now during this season of Christmas, we rejoice that the the Messiah, the light of the world, has come. He has come into the darkness of this world to bring his ever-shining light. He has come and we welcome him into our hearts anew, just as we did at the moment of our baptism. We praise and thank our God, our good and gracious God, for the gift of his presence among us as he takes on our humanity and offers his life in sacrifice so that we might, through his love and through his mercy, participate in his divinity. So on behalf of the Poor Clare Nuns of Perpetual Adoration and the Franciscan Missionaries of the Eternal Word, We wish all of you a very holy and joyous Christmas. God bless you all.